Hi everyone, I'm John Offord, I'm a broadcaster based in the UK and welcome to Different Minds, a podcast series that looks at neurodiversity, the different ways our brains can work and interpret information. Today we're going to talk about dyscalculia. Um, I'm delighted to be joined by Rebecca Hayes and Rebecca is the Managing Director of the Inclusive Learning Academy which provides dyslexia and dyscalculia assessments. Rebecca, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. How are you um, How are you coping with lockdown? You know what, it's actually been okay. I think initially, um, as it was to everyone, it was a bit of a shock to the system, especially because the way that I work, I'm, I'm very much out in the public a lot of the time. So on the work side of things, it was very different and I very quickly had to adapt to working remotely. But once we got into... Um, got into it a little bit more I've quite enjoyed it to be honest <laughs> it's been nice yeah. to have some downtime and to focus on the things that I like doing and not just working all hours um available so yeah no I've quite enjoyed it but I'm quite I'm definitely enjoying going back um to work now so I'm back in the office now assessing so I've been looking forward to that as well no definitely can relate to what you just said there it's definitely <laughs> positive to lockdown so yeah so um so yeah if you can just tell me uh, what is dyscalculia what is the actual condition so dyscalculia, well, many academics have attempted to define dyscalculia over the years, but it's really difficult to define dyscalculia as just one article. And instead, it tends to be used as an umbrella term to classify many, well, many difficulties with mathematics. So dyscalculia is a specific and persistent difficulty. And those two terms, so specific and persistent, are really key. And it's a difficulty with understanding numbers, which may then lead to further difficulties with mathematics. So essentially, dyscalculia is a fail failure even to grasp the abstract concept of number sense and applies to competent learners who struggle to learn at age related expectations. It falls at the far end of the continuum of mathematics difficulties, and it is distinguishable due to the severity of difficulties with number sense. So including summatizing, um, symbolic and non-symbolic magnitude comparison and ordering. It affects learners at different behavioural, neurological um, and psychological levels so and it affects all levels of academia as well. So it tends to co-occur with or it can co-occur sorry with other specific learning difficulties and one of the difficulties that learners tend to experience is um, severe mass anxiety as well. It can also occur along alongside other medical conditions. So it's important to note that dyscalculia is a specific and persistent difficulty that I mentioned at the beginning, but it also affects numeracy and it's not just a difficulty with mathematics on its own. So to diagnose dyscalculia, it must be unexpected in relation to the age, the level of education, the level of experience and the level of other relevant attainments as well. So maybe the intelligence and literacy skills. So just to summarise then, so what are the symptoms of dyscalculia? So people with dyscalculia may really, really struggle with number sense and the understanding of number. So, for example, if I'm thinking about a child that might have dyscalculia, they might struggle to understand the representations of numbers. So if I was to put three objects in front of them, they would not be able to see that those objects are one, two, three. They wouldn't be able to count those. They just really have a, a lack of understanding of number and what that represents. So would you say dyscalculia is a disability? It comes under a learning difficulty. Um, it, com it also is under the, well, it's recognised under the Equality Act 2010. So it is an impairment and it, it does impair people who um, obviously um, are going through their education. And it can also 
be a difficulty in life for people as well. So it depends how you regard it. As, well, it depends whether you regard it as a disability, but it is definitely a learning difficulty. Is it something that can be cured? Not at all. So it's not, it can't necessarily be treated. It can't be cured. I wish it could be, um, but it's a specific learning difficulty, which means that the learner is going to have that specific difficulty for their whole life. But it's not all doom and gloom. So there are specialists available who can teach and show a learner strategies that will allow them to either access their education or their everyday life. Um, so specialists will use multi-sensory um, cumulative teaching methods and approaches to support that learner's specific strengths in their areas for the development. So, if that, so for example, I'm a specialist teacher. So if I was to start working with a student that had dyscalculia initially I would look at their assessment if they'd had one um, and then I would identify their strengths and their areas for development within their assessment and then plan lessons that would target supporting them and developing those areas for development a little bit more so I tend to start with um, sequencing activities we'd look at estimation activities and then we'd go on to new learning so as the new learning is then the weaknesses, the areas that need improving a little bit more. And we use concrete, pictorial and abstract methods for, to teach those students with dyscalculia um, their new learning. So CPA, concrete, pictorial and abstract representations are used all through primary and some secondary education as well. So concrete representations are, um, let's say I was teaching a student how to count um, so going really back to basics here, we were saying, ask it, oh, explaining to a student how to add two numbers together, let's do that one. Um, I might get two counting blocks and say to them, right, so I've got the number two here, I've got two blocks, and I've got the number three here, and I've got three blocks, and then putting them together to make the number five by counting them all, all up together. So that would be the concrete representation. The pictorial representation will be then representing it using pictures, so we might use a number line, for example, and then an abstract will be used in numerical terms, so two add three equals five, and then from there you can move on to word problems as well. I mean, is there a treatment then? Just going back, is there is there an actual treatment for dyscalculia? In the UK, we don't say there's a treatment, unfortunately, but what we do is recommend is that you go and see a specialist teacher who would then be able to support them with their education. So it's there is no treatment, but you can learn strategies of how you, it and learn strategies and ways that it can support you in everyday life. So you're not seeing as much of a difficulty on a day to day basis. Is um so you talked about this a little bit before, but how do you test then for for dyscalculia? Okay, so you can go for a full diagnostic assessment and that will give you your diagnosis of dyscalculia. So there's two ports of call that you can do for that. So you can either go to an educational psychologist or you can go to a specialist dyscalculia assessor like myself. Um, if you were to go to a specialist dyscalculia assessor, we're going to assess, well, we're going to take into consideration all your background information. So the first thing that I do if I'm assessing a child or an adult is they ask them about their life from birth to present. So sometimes the parents obviously will give input and give them some information on that. So um, I'm going to take in all that background information. I'm going to look at any um, difficulties with birth, any difficulties um, growing up, so any um, coordination difficulties, and then going to look at literacy skills. So I will start off the actual assessment process with a literacy assessment, and that'll look at your reading skills. I would then do an intelligence assessment as well. So this is going to look at your verbal and visual ability. And then I will look at your memory, so your short-term verbal and visual, as well as your working memory. So obviously short-term verbal and visual memory is your ability to look at something um, visually and then 
immediately repeat it back and again verbally and that's listening to it and then you'll go on to um your working memory which is the ability to listen to something and then manipulate that information and then give it back in another format so i'll start with those ones we then go on to a maths assessment and this is quite a lengthy process so we again we have informal discussions just gathering background information we might choose to do some screeners to see whereabouts we're lying on that continuum of mathematics difficulties I like personally to use a qualitative screener, again, just to gather that background information. Um, the one that I like is one by Steve Chin. It's really good. Um, gets a lot of background information, covers a lot of areas, and it as well allows the um, person who's been assessed to share their own opinions as well. Then you go on to do a whole mathematics assessment. Like I say, it's quite long. There's 18 subtests in total. I can talk a little bit about those if you want me to. Yeah, sure, please. Yeah. Okay, so we've got the, um, so when I'm assessing, we're going to look at three areas of dyscalculia. So the first one, well, the first index score, the composite score that I'm going to look at is called a procedural index. Um, and this represents deficits with the ability to count, order, sequence numbers or sequence mathematical procedures when problem solving. So learners may struggle to count forwards and backwards on a number line and might routinely begin at one. So let's say if they were counting up to 15, they might go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then struggle to remember what comes after ten. So again, they would go back to the beginning and start at one. So a low procedural index um, suggests that a learner may have difficulties with recalling the sequence of steps necessary to perform multiple digit tasks, such as long division, uh, multiplying multiple digit numbers, as well as working with fractions and decimals. So that's the procedural index. We also have a verbal index as well. So learners who show deficits in this area may work slowly on rote fluency measures of addition, subtraction, multiplication and division, as these tasks consist of single digit maths facts that should be recalled without the need for mental calculation of numbers and procedures. So just they should just be able to recall them immediately without necessarily having to think too much um, about them. So in essence, learners with below average scores in the verbal index composite score have difficulties with the verbal representations of number and tend to have an inability to use language based procedures to assist in uh, arithmetic fact retrieval skills. So learners with weaknesses in this area often have difficulty with mathematical vocabulary and terminology as well, especially when it's embedded within a word problem. So often you'll see people who really struggle with um, solving word problems, mathematic word problems, and tend to be these students perform lower in their verbal index um, mathematics assessments. And then finally, we also have the semantic index. So learners, um, so these learners have deficits with non-symbolic representations of maths, so the ones that score poorly in this area. So they may include difficulties with estimation skills, aligning numbers in columns, magnitude representations, and visual pattern recognition skills. So after we've done the assessment, that would then be used to inform the teaching methods going forward. So we would then look at, so for example, if a student was really struggling with procedural index, we'd plan lessons that would focus on looking at long division and multiple uh, multiplying multiple digits as well. If they were um, really struggling with the magnitude representations of numbers, then we would look at that area. Is dyscalculia, would you say it's a form of autism? No, not at all. Um, it can co-occur, dyscalculia can co-occur with lots of different areas and you'll hear people say that um, because it's a specific learning difficulty they'll just call it a specific learning difficulty without them actually diagnosing it as dyscalculia. So it can co-occur with things like dyslexia and dyspraxia but it does occur on its own as well. It definitely doesn't 
just occur with autism. And on that, is it related to ADHD? Again, no, it's not related to ADHD. However, it can co-occur with ADHD and it is mm-hmm. common to see that. I wonder if you could uh, self-diagnose with dyscalculia. You tend to see that a lot of people like to self-diagnose. So on Facebook, I am um, a member of lots of different specific learning difficulties groups. So a lot of them are parents, a lot of them are people with dyslexia and dyscalculia. Um, and again, um, a lot of these dyscalculia groups, I think in the UK, dyscalculia is very up and coming. We don't have a lot of information. It is developing all the time. And a lot of, has happened over the past couple of years. But if uh, in comparison to America, America are a lot further ahead than us. So if you go on these dyscalculia Facebook pages, you'll tend to see a lot of people saying, I have dyscalculia. You can have a screener completed, but it does not give you a diagnosis. So you can say that, oh, I tick some of that category. But you have to go to a specialist assessor or an educational psychologist for them to be able to diagnose dyslexia. Unfortunately, you can't self-diagnose it. What, what do you think are the, the causes of the condition? So there are lots of different causes without going into the biology of it too much because I could talk forever. (laughs) But it tends to be a um, it tends to be a difference within the brain. So there are certain areas that are well. I'll explain it a little bit more in terms of dyslexia if that's okay because I think it'll make a little bit more sense. So. If we look at dyslexia, so dyslexia again is a specific and persistent learning difficulty that can affect the fluency in which a person is able to read, write and spell. So more specifically, those with dyslexia struggle with phonological awareness, verbal memory and verbal processing speed, as well as other co-occurring difficulties too. So dyslexia, again, very similar, can affect learners of all ages and levels of academia. Um, And when comparing the definition of dyslexia to that of dyscalculia, there are a number of similarities, including them both being very specific and persistent and can occur across all ages and abilities. But in terms of maths, both dyslexic and dyscalculic learners often use immature and inconsistent calculation methods and struggle to transfer skills learned to other topics. Research out there has identified that for dyslexic learners, core problems lie with phonological deficits, whereas for dyscalculic learners, core difficulties lie with magnitude. So I think um, there was research, I think, I don't want to quote the wrong name, but I think it might have been by Landau, um, has found no correlation between reading ability and arithmetic ability, suggesting that difficulties are attributed to two different cognitive deficits. So the dys Dyslexia um, comes from one cognitive uh, cognitive deficit and the dyscalculia will come from another. So like dyslexia, dyscalculia is not attributed to one singular cognitive deficiency or developmental order, but instead it can be attributed to a number of factors. So it can be um, hereditary, it can be a biological, it, there is a, an argument that it is um, social as well, so it it's, depends on your upbringing. Um, as well so there were lots of different things under well lots of different areas that underlie um dyscalculia so you could say that dyscalculia does run in families then absolutely yes it does yeah. okay i just wondered um what if you could just take us back to yourself really and, and your journey and, and and how you ended up working in this field i mean um tell us a bit more about how that came about So I went to university with aspirations of being a teacher Um, and I went off and I did my degree in teaching and I thoroughly enjoyed it and I did really well Um, and I decided to go off and and become a teacher and that's what I did so I qualified with um, 
qualified teacher status, went and did some practice and decided that actually I didn't think it was for me. I felt that when I was in the classroom, you tended to have children that were really struggling and some children that were really excelling. And it was impossible, especially in the UK when we have 30 plus students in a class sometimes, to be able to meet the needs of all the all children in the class. I find that the way that the national curriculum expects us to teach doesn't meet the needs of every single learner. Those children who are really excelling, we can't always challenge them enough. And those children who are really struggling, we can't always support them while supporting the entire class. So I then went off and um, decided I was going to set up my own business. Um, and I decided I wanted to work with children who had been um, estranged from home or I worked with a lot of children who were in care um, and I was supporting these children through their exams so their maths and English GCSEs and again I found that a lot of these children were still struggling even though I was working in one-to-one and small groups and I felt like I needed to go out there and, and find out why this was happening and how I could support these children further and I came across um dyslexia or I knew a lot about dyslexia actually because my brother has a diagnosis of dyslexia and other members of my family do as well so I thought I wanted to go and learn a bit more in this area unfortunately when I did my teaching degree dyslexia wasn't really mentioned at all it was very brief this is what dyslexia is this is how we support them but it was done in one um, lecture so it wasn't covered at all so I went off and did my degree in dyslexia I became a dyslexia specialist teacher and a dyslexia assessor as well from there, I then went out and had my own business. So I started working in um, schools, providing assessments. I started working privately so people can come to me for an assessment. I also work with colleges and universities and workplaces as well. And then I met a wonderful student who didn't fit into the criteria of dyslexia. He definitely had some specific learning difficulty and I definitely wanted to find out more about this. So I decided I was going to go back to university again and this time it was to become a, dyslex a dyscalculia specialist, sorry. So I went off and did that and learned all about dyscalculia and it was very, very, very different to dyslexia, but it was still extremely interesting. Um, and now that's what I am. So I assess and teach dyscalculic students as well. Interesting. And just so I can just um, get this right then. So is dyscalculia a form of dys dys dyslexia or, or not? No, it's not. It can occur alongside dyslexia. It's quite common for that to happen, but it's standalone specific learning difficulty. So you, I tend to, if I think back to when I was at university, my lecturer then explained it as three giant circles and we would have dyslexia in one circle or three, a giant Venn diagram, I should say. So I've got dyslexia in one, I've got dyscalculia in another, I've got dyspraxia in another, and then I have all these other co-occurring difficulties around the outside. So, um, poor attention, poor working memory, um, strengths with um, building, for example. And then we would have this overlap. So they do tend to overlap a little bit, but for you to diagnose, they have to be, or they have to have all of the difficulties or a lot of the difficulties for just one of those areas. So for example, when I'm assessing for dyscalculia, I'm looking for something completely different to when I'm assessing for dyslexia. What do you think needs to be done as a society to kind of um, you know, educate people more about, about the condition? We definitely need a lot more awareness. I don't think many people know a lot about dyscalculia. Sometimes every now and again I'll come across a student who just stands out to me that they may have dyscalculia. When I mention it to the parents, the teacher themselves, they often, more often than not, they have no idea what it is and obviously would like some more information about it. It's not taught on a teaching degree or it wasn't when I did mine. Um, and as far as I know, it still isn't. So I think it needs to be 
uh, introduced to that level. I think that in the general public, we need to be more aware of it because I know people who have dyscalculia who really struggle with um, reading timetables, so bus timetables, train timetables. They really struggle with money as well. So, for example, if they were in a shop and something came to 23.99, for example, that would just be incredibly difficult for them to work out. So they're more likely to just give £40, so it'd be, they can make sure that it's over that amount. And then obviously they're at risk of being taken advantage of, hopefully in our society we're not at that stage anymore, but let's say that they were, they could be shortchanged and we wouldn't know either. So definitely more awareness, um, definitely introducing it to at uh, an educational level as well, so we can learn as teachers what that is, and definitely just making sure that we're a little bit more kind and considerate to other people's learning difficulties. I just wonder what your thoughts were on media representation of dyscalculia. So obviously, um, recently, you know, on, on Netflix, um, obviously it's completely different. But you know, in terms of autism, you've got like programs like Atypical and The A Word on the BBC that are kind of um, portraying autism in in a, in a different light. And I just wondered, you know, are there any uh, well known characters, any well known um, uh, dramas that that deal with the condition and and, and have characters that 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 are living that day to day. Unfortunately, I'm not aware of any, and I do try and keep up to date with, with this sort of thing, especially because I'm working with um, young children and young adults as well, so it's always nice for them to see um, how it's represented in the media, but unfortunately, it's just not, it's not represented at all. Dyslexia is more so a little bit, but dyscalculia, dyscalculia is virtually non-existent. Um, it definitely needs representing a little bit more. I know I was recently involved in um, a blog post um, from university students who were interested in non-visible learning difficulties and I wrote an interesting piece about dyslexia and dyscalculia in there for, and it was aimed at university graduates. Um, but apart from that, um, unfortunately, we're just not represented in, in media. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I just wondered, um, it, what would you say, Rebecca, to anyone listening to this that uh, maybe perhaps thinking that they, they could have the condition and they're not quite sure what to do next? Absolutely. So if you were to think, if you're thinking that you might have dyscalculia, my first port of call would definitely be the British Dyslexia Association. So that's the BDA, British Dyslexia Association. If you go on their website and type in dyscalculia, it, they do have quite a lot of information on there. If you wanted to then go ahead and find out how to um, get a dyscalculia assessment, you can go on a website called PATOS, and that's P-A-T-O-S-S, and click on to find a local assessor to you. Um, unfortunately, there's not many of us, <laughs> so you may have to travel, or we may travel to you, but definitely have a look on the PATOS website. Um, if you're an educational professional and you're thinking that some of your children may have dyscalculia and you're kind of looking how to support them in the classroom, then I definitely recommend looking up um, the following three professionals who uh, I always recommend, and that's Steve Chin, Ronit Bird, and Judy Hornigold, and they all three of them have wonderful resources on dyscalculia. That's really helpful. Thank you. And and just a final question, really, and I guess this is something that I asked, I try and ask most of my guests. A little bit random, but I just wondered what, what what's the best advice someone ever gave you, Rebecca? The best advice someone ever gave me. Um, <laughs> a little bit off topic, but always to do things 
that you want to do for you. So try and do things, obviously you want to be considerate to everybody else, but if it's something that you want to do in life, always make sure that you accomplish doing that and make that a priority. Don't always try and please other people by doing things the way that they want them, you to do them. Absolutely, spot on there. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Really appreciate your time. Oh no, you're more than welcome. It's a pleasure to chat to you too. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, keep up the good work and, you know, raising the awareness of, of, of the condition. And, you know, I think obviously podcasts like this that, that talk about it um, is definitely a good, a good thing. And, and I'll put a description um, of some of those websites you mentioned for anyone wanting to, to find out more. But yeah, um, again, thank, thanks for your time today, Rebecca. Perfect. Thank you very much.